And now we want to share something special with our listeners, introducing Lit and Lit Extra, the new hot sauce IEX just created. We're calling it the official unofficial hot sauce of the stock market. It's a perfect blend of spice and high performance flavor. You'll definitely want to get your hands on some. You can check it out at iextrading.com slash podcast to get your fix while supplies last or tag us at IEX and let us know how you like it. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines, and we're very honored with today's guest. We have Congressman Himes, who represents Connecticut 4th District in the United States House of Representatives. That's a mouthful. Welcome, currently... Jim. Welcome, Congressman Jim Himes. I, 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 I warned you, Congressman. He's cringing. Uh... Yeah, Ronan, you didn't tell me there was going to be an Irish grandmother on. <laughs> Irish grandmother, nice. This is two guests in a row who called you out, John, for being bad. So this is Congressman Himes' sixth term, so he must be doing something right. And actually, I went to Fairfield University, so that's that's in your district. So great, great district. Sure um, some other background. He's a member of the House Committee on Financial Services, which is obviously very important to us. Uh, cool. Uh, perhaps not as cool as surveying ranking member of the NSA and Cybersecurity Subcommittee of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. That's, that's a mouthful. Cool. Mm-hmm. John was a former acting head of trading and markets, so he's, he's got <laughs> right. DC in That's his blood. That's fine, Ronan. You don't you, need to. You know, I, I got it. I got it out there because he's going to mm-hmm. throw it in at some point during the podcast. Okay. So it's a All right. preempt. <laughs> well, yeah. welcome. Thank you so much for for taking the time to do this with us. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, John, do you and, want, and I I just want to give a, a shout out to your ledge director, uh, Mark Snyder, who I've known for a long time and is a really smart, um, thoughtful, good guy. Um, so I want to. Yes, he is. We're, we're lucky. We're lucky to have him. And, you know, fate of the Republic doesn't stand on me. It stands on guys like that. <laughs> so, listeners, we were originally meant to interview Congressman Himes at the STA conference, but as schedules got uh, convoluted. So we're doing this and we're actually uh, really excited to, to have the congressman as our very own guest on our very own episode of Boxes and Lines. So as we, as we kick it off, we wanted to start with uh, your background and experience working in the private sector, because. Before you uh, went to D.C., you had a successful career as an investment banker, and now you're a leading voice on the Financial Services Committee when it comes to equity market structure. So our question is to you or to, to anybody not in this business, why in the name of God are, why <laughs> did you first become interested in market structure matters, and how did your private sector experience help shape your perspective? So, so your question, Ronan, is why would a guy take a 90% pay cut to deal with esoteric <laughs> issues that nobody really knows anything about? Yeah, that, that's bingo. actually a pretty good question. <laughs> bingo, bingo. You read my inner monologue. We would love to know the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, look, I had, a, I had a wonderful, I was at Goldman for 12 years. Um, and my theory going in was, you know, gosh, I, I'm, I'm interested in public policy. Uh, someday I'm going to go to work for the government, but I, I ought to know what I, I ought to have some skills. I ought to know some things about the uh, world if I'm going to be in the government, either helping legislate around it or, or, or regulate it. And so I figured I'd spend a couple of years um, uh, learning business, turned into 12 years, a uh, long time, um, but I did some really interesting stuff. I did Latin American investment banking back when that was sort of on the frontier, did some tech banking and, uh, you know, learned, learned a lot about that side of the business and, you know, got, got by the way, got great training. Uh, you know, whatever you think of Wall Street, it is one heck of a place to get uh, uh, to get trained as a young person. Yeah, I couldn't agree more because I, I came up in the technology industry. And then when you when you first come to Wall Street, people have preconceived notions. But I will say it, it is a bunch of hardworking people and they, they put in the hours. Now, the, the, the money is not bad. Right, John? 
This is where uh, he complains about his salary. On yeah, the money's thing. not that great as far as I can tell, Brennan, but I'm uh, hopeful next year <laughs> may be better. But, but, but Congressman, I wanted to add, apart from the Wall Street experience, you also have had um, uh, experience um, working for a nonprofit on uh, urban uh, development, um, promoting urban um, housing. So you obviously have been interested in these public policy issues for a while. Um, so it's, it, it wasn't just a, a simple, seamless transition from Wall Street uh, to the Hill. Yeah, that's 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 right. And I worked for an outfit called Enterprise Community Partners, which um, talk about a mouthful of esoterica um, syndicates the low income housing tax credit. Uh, you know, we would put together basically the financing for uh, the construction of affordable housing in our largely in our cities. Right. And so in some ways that was sort of banking, but around a really critical mission. I mean, you know, if you live in San Francisco or New York City or pretty much any city that is thriving, you know that uh, uh, housing is a huge, huge issue for sure. Ronan, cool. do you have the next question? Oh, of course I have the next question, John. So <laughs> oh, hopefully, Congressman Himes, you're not sick of talking about this. But, you know, obviously, as of late, again, uh, retail and the meme stocks, as they like to call them now, is back in the news. Uh, but we want to talk about uh, like our, our more focus on your area, the House Financial Services Committee and the GameStop hearings. Right. And their GameStop hearings, maybe they'll be the AMC hearings at some point. But uh during the, the first one, uh, you came out a strong supporter on the democ democratization of finance. Well, it's Friday afternoon, uh, but cited concerns over the consequences of the gamification of trading and pointed out that Robinhood's model is similar to that of a casino. So I, I, I guess our question to you, and we'd love to talk on this topic is, you know, where do you think the line is between encouraging more people to participate in the markets versus ensuring people understand, you know, what the opportunities are and what the dangers are, you know, do, do people really know uh, that they're, they're, they're gambling in effect or do they know what they're doing? Yeah, great, great question. I'm so glad you asked it because, oh my gosh, do people have strong feelings about this? I've, I've been through a lot of political <laughs> tussles, um, you know, in my years. Uh, never have I quite seen the, uh, the blast back, the blowback on social media amongst people who think that you're trying to sort of restrict their right to, uh, you know, to trade uh, uh, GameStop on, on Robinhood. But but um, uh, so, so uh, look, I think like so many uh, members of Congress, I think the idea of making sure that our markets are available to everybody in a fair way, meaning not just the big institutional players get access to, uh, to investments, um, but that everybody gets uh, to play in our capital markets is a really important thing. Um, wh where the casino thing comes in, and I, and I wouldn't necessarily say that the, that the Robin Hood model is casino-like, um, it, it leads, it facilitates casino-like behavior. But look, Robinhood, in as much as it's a, a, a user-friendly, very easy to use app, I think is a wonderful thing. Now, when you get into gamification, when you start to see little psychological triggers that are about getting people to trade a lot, that's when I start to feel a little queasy because, I mean, it's not really a debate. There's lots of studies out there that show that you can make a ton of market money in the stock market, but by and large, not the only way, but almost the only way to do that is through, you know, long-term, well-researched, well-diversified investment. Um, if you are, and I know I'm going to get in trouble saying this, but if you are going on Robinhood to put $1,000 into a stock and you don't even know what the underlying company does, well, I'm not sure how that is different than gambling, you know, if, and, and if you're going to trade in and out of it and you think that sitting in your basement reading a bunch of blogs from Roaring Kitty is going to give you the tools that you need to beat the big players on Wall Street. Um, uh, sorry, but you're wrong about that. And, and so, so last point is the answer that the government says you can't do that. 
No, I don't think it is. Now, now there, there may be a line, right? There may be a line where we say, guess what? You can't borrow $10 million <laughs> or whatever the number is. Um, but the reality is that, that, that gambling behavior in the markets is not going to be remedied by government regulation. It's going to be remedied, quite frankly, when we see a bear market and people for the first time in a long time realize that, yeah, there's both upside and downside to uh, risk to playing in the equity markets. Yeah, and to, to, to that point, Congressman, I think the question maybe is not just what it is people have the right or the ability to do, but what some of these platforms are actively incentivizing and encouraging people to do, and whether uh, whether groups like Robinhood or other platforms have some responsibility uh, when they actively are encouraging people to trade um, as much as possible, uh, uh, perhaps in ways that may go beyond what they're um, able, to, able to take on. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, John. Look, this is not a new issue as, as, us, as, old, as us old guys know, uh, you know, we've been talking about churning forever uh, in the markets. When a, when a broker has an, a financial incentive for you to trade because that's how they get paid, lo and behold, they encourage you to trade. And, and of course, that to some extent is the Robin Hood model. They get paid not by you, they get, well, not directly by you, they get paid, of course, by the by the um, by, by the big traders behind them, um, they get trade. They get paid when you trade, and and people need to understand that as they think about what looks like you know psychological incentives. You know, boom, confetti in a champagne bottle when I make a buy order or whatever. People just need to sort of know. They just need to know what's going on there. Right. Yeah, and no, I think it makes a lot of sense. You, you're not you're not saying don't trade, don't use apps like Robinhood. It's just more be a little bit cautious because you you, you always hear the stories of the the people who had the big wins, but uh, but I think some get lucky on an average. People lose if they're if they're if they're jumping in and just expecting to buy a stock and the next day it's up. It just doesn't work that way. It's exactly what you said. A lot of it is buy and hold, and you have a lot of these institutional firms that listen to this podcast that hire teams of PhDs and you know invest in a lot of technology. And and I'm not saying that the the the, the average Joe can't get involved in trading, but I, I think it is good to highlight that it's um you know there, there's there's definitely a risk there. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and, and, and let me be even more clear here. I, I, I don't have anything against you walking into a casino and blowing a thousand dollars at the blackjack table. People do that every single day. As Ronan has been known to do. Occasion, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my point is, my point is, I don't look, we, we, we have gambling here in the state of Connecticut. I don't, I don't have an objection to that. I just I just want you to kind of keep clear categories about what you're doing. If you go and play blackjack and you're not a really good blackjack player, we can predict with some certainty how fast you're going to lose all your money, right? Because these, you know, this is at the end of the day, sort of math and probability. So, so all I'm saying is, if you're going to invest, and we're talking about democratizing investment, let's make sure we're really talking about investment rather than, you know, people going on Robinhood to trade names frequently that they've never even heard of and they couldn't tell you a thing about. That's that's not investing, and I'm not saying we should make it illegal. I'm just saying let's be clear that that's not what that's not really investing. I'll tell you You're something right. I don't know anything about is the game of highlight. And when I was in college in Connecticut, I went to Foxwood Casino and I would play. I would gamble on people playing that game. Do, do they still do that in Foxwood Casino? Uh -huh. uh, I don't think they do. Uh, they used to have yeah. highlight in Bridgeport. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't think it's there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, this well, that's very like comforting, Rosen, and very comforting. <laughs> and now you're the president of a of an exchange, so we're. Uh, we'll hey, I changed. Uh, I changed my ways um, after college, John. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want on those same themes of uh, what retail investors uh, may be incentivized to do. 
some of the same issues uh, I, I, uh, are raised to some extent with the trading of Bitcoin and some of these crypto assets. Um, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on that as well, because there, there have been, uh, you know, there are a lot of questions around how much we should open up the trading of, uh, you know, Bitcoin ETFs, so other sort of cre uh, crypto assets to retail investors. Um, and a, a lot of the same risks are present there, too. So I'm interested to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, what a, what a, what an interesting question. You know, the Financial Services Committee is going to really drill down on cryptocurrencies, and and so is the Federal Reserve, uh, who is thinking about it right now. Um, so, so the the short answer to your really good question is, um, you know, we all have a lot to learn about the pluses and minuses of cryptocurrencies because they are a new thing. On the plus side, you know, I used to be a technology banker. I'm I'm a big fan of innovations, and this is absolutely an innovation, and I think it offers some pretty um, some pretty neat possibilities, you know, a payment system that, uh, that is frictionless, you know, that doesn't involve a 3% uh, fee, maybe someday, you know, the opportunity to bring people into, um, you know, the, you know, into a, into a more traditional, um, uh, uh, financial system that might, you know, be storing dollars under their mattress. I think, I, I think there's some possibility for some really good things, but, but what else is it, right? Uh, particularly as, uh, on an anonymous platform, uh, let's face it, it's being used primarily people who put a high value on anonymity and that yes i understand that that includes libertarians but it also includes drug dealers terrorists and child traffickers and so i do think we've got a lot of work to really to figure out how we allow this innovation to thrive in a way that doesn't facilitate really destructive behavior. What's the right regulatory balance? And we've got a ways to go because quite frankly, look, there's 435 people in the House of Representatives. I think I could probably count on uh, two hands and two feet um, the number of members who I feel uh, are really, really knowledgeable on the issue. And I'm not sure I'd include myself on those two hands and two feet. <laughs> Nice. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying it's a uh, good timing, but timing is what it is. Since we were supposed to talk at the STA event, uh, between now and then, you, you, you see the, the wake of the cybersecurity attacks on the Colonial Pipeline. And we thought, obviously, you're a member of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, and you chair one of the subcommittees. And we want to see, obviously, I think everyone has, like, even in our own company, the InfoSec and cyber checks that we do now. But um in recent years, we've seen such an increased concern expressed there by the intelligence community. Um, what actions do you believe the federal government should be taking to help secure Americans' data? And how can the government work with the private sector to ensure stronger data and cybersecurity? And I guess I'd add in there, like, it, should, you, should, you be act, should, you, should the government be helping the colonial pipelines of the world? Or what are your thoughts there? Oh yeah, no, no, no question. And now, now we're talking about my other committee where we have oversight of, uh, you know, things like the National Security Agency, yep. uh, CIA, etc. Um, so no question in my mind. Um, so you, you said, what should we be doing? Um, let, yep. let me, let me be uh, crisp about this. Look, a lot of what we need to do is just all of us being smarter, right? Making sure that we're not being irresponsible, that we use two-factor authentication, that our software is patched. I'll tell you what, if we all did that, you know, this, this very big problem would become a smaller problem. Um, so that's number one. Number two, yeah, you're ab absolutely. Uh, we need a much stronger real-time partnership between the private sector and the public sector. I mean, I was going out of my mind when, um, you know, at the end of the whole colonial pipelines thing, you know, the United States government didn't know until we were told that they had paid a ransom uh, to- uh, Yeah, yeah, uh, that was to, interesting. 
Yeah. So, you know, and yes, there was a little bit of communication between um, colonial pipelines and the government. But, but, but frankly, in my opinion, when particularly for our critical infrastructure, you know, for stuff that is really essential, oil pipelines, hospitals, electricity, et cetera, food. You know what? If you run a company and you've been attacked and, and, and they've shut down your systems, I, I, I think you should be required uh, to go to the government the same way, you know, American Airlines, when they have a problem on one of their airlines is required to tell the FAA about it. Uh, and then we need to work side by side um, because we have very, very good people in, in the place in you know, all of the three letter agencies. And then lastly, and this is my current bugaboo, I've been pestering the White House about this for years and years and years. Um, you know, every day I open the newspaper and there's a new ransomware attack. And I suspect most of them are, are you know, tolerated dark businesses in places like Russia. We need to go on the offense. Um, we need to start telling the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians and the North Koreans and everybody who does this to us every single day that we're coming back at you, that we are going to undertake offensive operations that extract a very substantial cost when you go after us. Only when you know Vladimir Putin or his friends, because a lot of this stuff is his friends, know that they're, and I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say it as tongue in cheek, but I'm gonna say it, only when a Russian oligarch knows that they're going to wake up in the morning with a balance of zero dollars in their bank account or zero dollars <laughs> in their Bitcoin account, are they going to think twice about what they're doing every single day? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's great points there. I mean, to me, it, it, I guess it hits home. I, I, I grew up in Ireland and then recently their entire health system was sort of like hacked. And then the, I, I believe the government there ended up paying. So it's obviously Ireland's a smaller country, but th this is this is like global attacks at this point. Well, and I've seen I've seen online that some of these ransomware attacks are against hospitals and healthcare organizations and where where lives are at risk uh, in a very real way. Um, and some of the people that are launching these attacks may uh, not care much about that. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, no, I was I was to my last point, I was pleased to see that the federal government um, uh, actually was able to recover, uh, you know, I guess roughly about half of the uh, colonial pipelines ransom. But I mean, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, OK, I hope you took the rest of the money and shut down the wallet. <laughs> <You> know, I, <laughs> now, I say that I, I, I should also say tongue in cheek, because obviously we have to operate inside the law and we want to do this carefully, too. Right. Because, uh, uh, you know, um, that they talk about asymmetry. Right. Anybody goes after us with airplanes, ships and tanks we're we're going to overwhelm them. But if you go at us with code, you know, as, as our last president so famously said, it could be a heavy guy in New Jersey uh, doing it. And we got to be very conscious of the fact that, um, you know, uh, uh, cyber warfare can be extraordinarily, uh, as they say, asymmetric. Great, great, great answer. John, you want to ask the next question? <laughs> sure. Um, Come on. So I got, I got to involve you somehow. John was <laughs> formerly head of, yeah, all sorry, right. formerly okay, acting Ronan. head Thank of trading you. and markets. <laughs> Thank you, Ronan. Um, if you could, uh, Congressman, talk a little bit about um, the DC landscape um, generally. Uh, you obviously been in Congress um, for a while now. You've seen a lot of different um, uh, political um, sort of environments. Um, there is uh, the the environment obviously feels as polarized as it um, as it ever has. Are there areas that you either prioritize or identify where you think um, real change can happen or legislation is possible? And, and what would the, what what would those be? And in in terms of the general climate, um, I guess I wonder where you have a circumstance where. Uh, people can't really even agree on how they should approach things like the, the January 6th attack on the Capitol and whether that's a political issue or not. How do you find consensus around anything? 
Yeah, yeah, it's a great and, and, and painful question. It's when I live 24 seven. And um, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I was used to for a long time polarization, Democratic, Republican. Uh, and, you know, through our history, we've we've always kind of had that. Yeah, it's gotten worse after the Obama administration. Actually, during the Obama administration, it got worse. The old hands tell me it's getting it's been getting bad for 30, 40 years. Um, we have a new form of polarization, though, which is even more concerning and more confusing. And that is that the, the polarization in the in the Congress right now is a is a three way polarization. Right. You've got the Democrats who, OK, I will grant you that it's a diverse and sometimes fractious group. And, you know, you never know. You always wonder whether the Democrats are going to sort of, you know, show a split between their more moderate members, a camp in which I count myself and the and the more aggressive activists. But right now on the Republican side, of course, you've got the Liz Cheney brand of Republican, you know, hardcore conservative, traditional conservative, um, but wants nothing to do with Donald Trump. And then you've got the bulk of the Republicans, at least in the House, who are Donald Trump uh, Republicans. And there's a war between those two elements. And it's it's interesting because you know, I know where Liz Cheney is coming from, and I don't agree with her on much, but I respect conservative points of view. When you're turned over to the service of Donald Trump, and it doesn't matter to you that Donald Trump trashes NATO, it doesn't matter to you that Donald Trump runs an industrial policy with the government picking winners and losers, you know, that's a different party. And that's a, that's a three-way polarization. And, and that's both really complicated and it's really a little scary um, because if being an acolyte or a supporter of Donald Trump also means that you do wink, wink, wink around uh, January 6th uh, or around uh, the president of the United States. We, I read about this last night. There was some apparently chance that the Department of Justice under Donald Trump looked at my emails and texts. Right. And mm. that that way yeah. lies the migration to an authoritarian country. And so now all of a sudden we're not in the world of me and Liz Cheney, where I say, look, Ms. Cheney, I disagree with you on the corporate tax rate. We're in a much scarier world where I say, wait a minute, is one of our parties now at least partly dedicated to eroding our democracy? And boy, is that a scary place to be? Yeah. God, I feel embarrassed asking my next question. Now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's an awkward transition, but we'll. <laughs> Maybe we should sing a song and then go to the transition. But uh, Congressman Himes, this is this is a question. Uh, I'm I, I'm not joking. We we ask every guest, so it's like a traditional question. So, um, you know, <laughs> phenomenal answer to the last question, really. So, with all respect, I ask this question: uh, What's your favorite Wall Street movie, and why? Well. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, boy, I could choose a lot of them and they're all so interesting, but I'm going to date myself here and I'm going to answer your question with reference to fashion and with reference to fashion, you've got to pick Michael Douglas in wall street, right. And those spectacular, <laughs> you know, uh, padded shoulders in the suits and the yellow power ties and, <laughs> and of course, that iconic, iconic line, right? You know, where, where he makes the explanation for why greed is good. So anyway, there's a lot of great, <laughs> lot of great movies, but uh, that I, that one's sort of a historical artifact, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to not agree on that one. It's a, it's a great one. Cool. And then, you know, John, and, and, and by, yeah. by the way, I should I should um, just if we can come back to the other more somber topic really quickly, you yeah. know, having sort of laid out a fairly pessimistic uh, uh, view on on uh, on the ability to do things. I, I don't want to leave your listeners without the impression that there is actually 
a lot of cross-partisan interest in addressing cybersecurity, which we've talked about, mm. in finding a smart way to, to find maybe, I don't know, whatever a middle path is, but a middle path on cryptocurrencies to make sure our national defense is strong, to do infrastructure. So I don't want to leave you with the impression that all is lost, right? It's just it's a little harder to get there than it used to be. Oh, no, that, that, that's great. And then to, to add to more of the optimism, we're going to gift you a pair of our your very own <laughs> Boxes and Lines socks for joining our podcast. <laughs> I did, these are the worst transitions I've ever done. <laughs> well, I'm John, John's beside himself. The, uh, the floor of the House of Representatives. I'll make sure to, uh, to post something on social media. <laughs> that, would be, that would be fantastic. That, that would be uh, epic if you did. They're, very, they're yeah. actually very comfortable. Everybody always tells mm -hmm. us these are not like the normal freebie socks they get so um we'll, we'll absolutely get them on the way to you and uh, uh we, we we couldn't thank you enough for taking the time today i know you've got an insane schedule and we appreciate you getting on with us yeah absolutely real pleasure no Johnny, and we, we say appreciate goodbye in irish or something i well i could do that i first of all i just wanted to um say appreciation to uh congressman heimster's service i wish we could clone you and uh we could uh, have a, a whole bunch uh, more like you, but um, thank you very much, and thank you for coming on Foxes and Lines. Until next time. <laughs> oh, God, God help us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Help us. And, and by the way, John, how do you know they haven't already cloned me? <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> That's a very good question. Thank you for that. We'll, we'll think about that all night. <laughs> Cheers. Well, thanks, thanks very, very much, much for guys. joining. Very much appreciated. and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.